0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Good morning and welcome to AM. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal land in Sydney. There's been another significant escalation in Western military aid for Ukraine. In a policy reversal, Germany is sending its Leopard 2 tanks and will allow other countries to do the same, while the US is sending its own Abrams tanks. Michelle Rimmer reports.
2: Leopard 2 tanks have a reputation as one of the best battle tanks in the world. Military analysts say they have the mobility and firepower Ukraine needs to overcome Russia's defenses. But Berlin controls where the German made battle tanks can be sent and has refused to officially approve their use in Ukraine until now. Here's German Chancellor Olaf Scholz.
3: We will
0: supply Leopard 2 battle tanks to Ukraine. That's the result of renewed intense consultations with our allies and international partners. Our goal is to quickly make Two tank battalions available together with our allies. There are a lot of countries which would also like to contribute in the deliveries, and we will coordinate and ensure that it is possible step by step.
2: Ukraine had been pleading for advanced tanks for months. Until now, it's been relying on Soviet era variants. The United States says it will join Germany in sending its own Abram M1 tanks to Ukraine. There, in addition to the Challenger 2 tanks the United Kingdom pledged to send earlier this month, US President Joe Biden hailed the cooperation between the Western allies. Putin expected Europe and the United States to weaken our resolve. He expected our support for Ukraine to crumble with time. He He was wrong. He was wrong. He was wrong from the beginning and he continues to be wrong. We are united. America is united and so is the world. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky says he's grateful for the extra tanks, which could prove critical for Kyiv as it prepares for a new Russian offensive in the coming months. In a statement, Russia's embassy to Berlin called Germany's decision to send tanks extremely dangerous and said it takes the conflict to a new level of confrontation. Bash Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov downplayed the significance of the move.
1: It
0: overestimates the potential it will add for the Ukrainian armed forces. It's another delusion and quite a serious one. Let me repeat these tanks burn just like all the others. Just they cost a great deal and all this will and does fall on the shoulders of European taxpayers in the first place.
2: Germany and the US had been reluctant to send the tanks to Ukraine. They have a mainly offensive rather than defensive purpose and some military analysts say it takes NATO's involvement in the war to a new level. Benjamin Tallis is a senior research fellow at the German Council on Foreign Relations
3: in Berlin. The fact that it's taken us so long to get these tanks there can be measured in, uh, in human lives in Ukraine and that's something to really reflect on going forward. We do need to take this lesson forward that um, history will punish those who delay and that's not something we can repeat.
1: This is Michelle Rimmer in London, reporting for AM. Adelaide documentary maker and best-selling author Taryn Brumfit has gained international attention for encouraging people to love the bodies they're in. And last night she became the Australian of the Year. Also recognised were an Indigenous elder who's helped shape the proposed voice to Parliament, a member of the Socceroos and a multicultural charity worker. Nor Haider prepared this report.
2: The Australian of the Year for 2023 is Taryn Brumford.
4: For years, Adelaide woman Taryn Brumfit has travelled the country spreading one message. Australia, it is not our life's purpose to be at war with our body. The body image activist, documentary maker, author and mother of four has been named the 2023 Australian of the Year. Her mission, to encourage children and adults to embrace their bodies. We weren't born into the world hating our bodies. This is something the world has taught us. Body shaming is a universal problem and we have been bullied and shamed into thinking our bodies are the problem. As the nation readies for a referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament, this year's title of Senior Australian of the Year has been awarded to one of its biggest advocates, Professor Tom Calmer. For more than four decades, the Kun Elder has championed the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples at a local, national and international level. He used his acceptance speech to address senior Australians directly few other demographic being targeted with myths and misinformation by pundits who are either ill-informed or who have malicious intent regarding the voice and he called on all Australians to support the proposed constitutional change let's do this together walk with us vote yes in the referendum. Socorroo Awemabil has been recognised as the Young Australian of the Year for co-founding the charity Barefoot to Boots. The 27-year-old was born in a Kenyan refugee camp and set up the organisation to improve the health and well-being of refugees. He wasn't at the ceremony in Canberra because of team commitments in Europe, but sent this message.
2: We're on missions to... to to keep helping uh, the less fortunate and you know it just
4: uh, it fulfills my heart when i help people Western Sydney man Amar Singh has made it his life's goal to help others too regardless of their color or creed and for that he's been named the 2023 local hero
2: I'm a man
5: who fought to find his place in Australia against lonely and isolation times coming to a new country with a suitcase
4: he established the charity Turbans for Australia after being targeted with racial slurs and insults because of his Sikh turban. The organisation has delivered food and emergency hampers to communities devastated by drought, floods and bushfires. And he hopes, with the new title, he can help bring more people together.
5: It's my dream to see Australians from all faiths and all backgrounds treated equally. I don't want somebody judged for their kappa, for their turban or their hijab. We are all human beings. We all bleed red.
1: Local hero winner Amar Singh ending Noor haters report. Well, some of Australia's most successful film directors and actors, along with business and community leaders, are being recognised with an Australia Day honour today. Gavin Coote prepared this report.
4: The children came
0: Uncle Archie Roach continues to be remembered as the voice of generations and a truth teller. The Gunditjmara Bunjalung senior elder who died last year after a long illness has been posthumously appointed companion to the Order of Australia for eminent service to the performing arts and indigenous rights and reconciliation. Back
2: where they
0: Another Australian storyteller who's explored the impacts of the Stolen Generation is being appointed an Officer of the Order of Australia, AO. Philip Noyce, the director of Rabbit Proof Fence, has carved out a successful career in Hollywood and feels honoured to receive the accolade from his home country.
4: It's funny that, the, that I'm getting an award because I'd like to give an award to all of the Australians who gave me a career.
0: Other trailblazing entertainment figures also feature in the honours list. Film and TV producer Bruna Papandrea, who co-founded a production company with Reese Witherspoon, is receiving recognition for significant service to her industry. While David Wenham, who rose to fame as the enigmatic diver Dan in the ABC television drama Sea Change, is being appointed a member of the Order of Australia, or AM. I happen to have a public profile. Most of the people who have been honoured today don't, but they have done extraordinary things within their own community. They're the people who make this country so rich. Two of these people are foster carers and OAM recipients Barbara and David Rugendike. Over almost 30 years, the pair has fostered more than 400 children and continued to care for young people even after the Black Summer bushfires destroyed their home on the south coast of New South Wales.
1: We feel really good about it because we've shown them another way that you can live. You don't have to live a dysfunctional type of life.
6: You treat them as part of the family and they just flourish.
0: And to get this recognition, both you and David, in the Australia Day Honours, Mm. what does that mean?
1: We're sort of accepting it. This is for all you foster carers out there who do a damn fine job and don't get much recognition at all.
0: The list also includes many who became prominent during the COVID-19 pandemic, such as the ACT Chief Health Officer, Karen Coleman, and ABC broadcaster, Dr Norman Swan. Among the 47 Australians being appointed AO, a former Telstra boss, Andy Penn, former New South Wales Police Commissioner, Mick Fuller, And adjunct professor Tony Press for his distinguished service to the environment, in particular the protection of the Antarctic and Kakadu.
3: I really
1: have enjoyed every single part of of my working life, but I do feel that my current commitment to uh, Antarctic affairs uh, will probably uh, stay with me for quite some time. Adjunct Professor Tony Press ending Gavin Coote's report. Today also marks 85 years since a group of Aboriginal men and women organised one of the world's first major civil rights gatherings. It was known as the Day of Mourning, and some of their descendants are attending protests around the country today. As Indigenous Affairs reporter Jetta Costa explains. <laughs> 150 years ago Captain Arthur Phillip hoisted the British flag on the shores of Sydney Cove
5: on the 26th of January 1938 Sydney citizens were celebrating 150 years of the British colonization of Australia with an array of festivities
2: In high summer As captured
5: in news reports from the time, there was a grand sailing regatta, a parade and a historically inaccurate recreation of first contact between members of the First Fleet and the people of the Eora Nation.
2: The natives
0: are terrified by the approach of the white men.
5: But while non-Indigenous people were throwing their hats in the air, a group of Aboriginal men and women marched through Sydney protesting more than a century of brutal mistreatment. It was a landmark civil rights movement known as the Day of Mourning.
0: So we were fading into the background and people were making statements at at that time that we were a dying race.
5: That's John Patton, historian and grandson of Jack Patton, a founding father of the Day of Mourning. Jack and other Indigenous rights pioneers met at Australia Hall in Sydney CBD 85 years ago today.
0: It was a time where they were able to signify what their goals were for moving forward.
5: They made passionate speeches and passed a resolution asking for citizenship rights. The Day of mourning opened avenues for movements like the 1967 Indigenous referendum and now the push for an Indigenous voice to Parliament.
0: So all of these waves of activism uh, built on those who came before us, those, those giants from the past,
5: Today, hundreds of thousands of Australians are expected at Invasion Day rallies in cities across the country, many led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people carrying on their ancestors' legacy, among them Yorta Yorta, Gunai Kurnai and Wiradjuri woman Sky Thomas. I will just be showing up for my community. Sky Thomas is the great-great-granddaughter of staunch advocate Margaret Tucker, who participated in the 1938 protest. Her life's work has been one of continuous labour towards community. There is almost an unmoving, selflessness. The original day of mourning evolved into the week-long celebration of NAIDOC week. Now modern protests have also grown into dual events of mourning and celebrations of survival with festivals and events held afterwards. We've survived massacres, we've survived separation from families and for us to still have our history, our culture, our practices, our language, to still be able to gather as a community, to still be linked up to family is really, really important and definitely
1: should be celebrated. That's Yorta Yorta, Gunai Kurnai and Wiradjuri woman, Sky Thomas, ending that report by Jetta Costa. The NT and federal governments are wrestling with what to do next as they try to rein in an alcohol-fuelled crime wave in Alice Springs. Public health advocates say it's time to bring back laws that made some remote communities and town camps dry. But some Indigenous community members say limiting the supply of alcohol isn't the answer. Oliver Gordon reports.
3: Alice Springs resident Shirlene Campbell is a proud town camper and fierce anti-domestic violence campaigner. She doesn't think reducing the supply of alcohol is a good long-term solution to the problems facing her town.
6: No, it's just a band-aid.
3: The CEO of the Tunganjia Women's Family Safety Group says people will find ways around the NT government's decision to ban takeaway alcohol sales on certain days of the week.
6: When I look at it as an Aboriginal perspective, if I were to be an alcoholic, I mean, I can just jump in my car and go down to South Australia in 24 hours and come back with a load of grog.
3: The takeaway ban isn't the only measure being implemented to try to curb crime rates in Alice Springs. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has asked a senior bureaucrat to look into the feasibility of reinstating now expired laws that banned alcohol from some indigenous town camps and remote communities. Alcohol policy expert Dr John Boffer hopes the review, due back next week, finds in favour of bringing back the laws.
1: We're hoping that there's board-based support for an opt-out system, which means the legislation comes back into place and after a proper process of consultation, which includes consulting with everyone living in individual town camps, a decision could then be made about whether people wanted to opt out, but that's an active decision that would have to be made, not the current situation where the restrictions were just removed without anyone having to make an active decision.
3: NT Chief Minister Natasha Files has said that if that happens, the Electoral Commission could be brought in to run a ballot to see if residents want to opt back out of being dry communities. Dr Boffer supports that idea.
1: And I think it needs to include young people over the age of 12.
3: Whilst Dr Boffer and Shirlene Campbell have differing views on alcohol bans, they agree more money needs to flow into education.
6: Yeah, if we want to tackle all this stuff that is happening, it's got to start within our um, schools, I guess, in the education curriculum.
3: Early childhood development is critical. Early education policy expert Catherine Little agrees. She says some remote communities in Central Australia have no childcare facilities at all.
6: Those children are going to start school with a gap. You know that gap we talk about? That's what it is.
3: The chief executive of Snake, the national voice for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, says the current crime wave in Alice Springs is a result of failed policies.
6: Those policies include things like uh, not investing in the early education years. It means the defunding of community control Programs. It means not investing into remote communities.
3: She says major reforms are needed in Central Australia and hopes there'll soon be a voice to Parliament to help enact those changes.
6: Because what it would stop is knee-jerk reactions from governments when policy cycles happen or when hot button topics
1: emerge. Indigenous children's advocate Catherine Little ending Oliver Gordon's report. Parents of children living with disabilities say the NDIS is failing in some parts of regional Australia. In Western Australia, one woman says her 17-year-old son, who lives with autism, spent 99 days in a country hospital after he was evicted from supported accommodation. The federal government says it's urgently addressing the problem, as Georgia Loney reports. Bunbury mother Melissa Karate
6: says she was given just hours notice that NDIS providers had called an ambulance to take her teenage son Marley to hospital. I received an email from my coordinator to say that the CEO had advised that they're going to see services. That was around nine or ten in the morning and with two hours notice that they were going to need to take Marley to the hospital as he'd been evicted from his home. The reason, she says, they told her they could no longer provide him with care. Melissa Karati's son has complex behavioural needs and under the NDIS had been receiving care around the clock. She says when she learned Marley was being transferred to hospital, she felt he was being abandoned. It was just we're done with Marley and he's going back to the hospital. She was later shocked when he ended up remaining in hospital for more than three months. He's been there for 99 days now while we try to find a service provider because there are none in Bunbury anymore and there's also no properties we can look at. In a statement, a spokeswoman for Marley's service provider, St Jude's, denies the organisation gave inadequate notice. The spokesperson for the NDIS provider says Marley's landlord had terminated the lease on the property he had been living in because he had caused $50,000 damage and no other suitable accommodation could be found. Tracy Mackey is the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commissioner and her office is working with Marley's family. She says there is a disproportionate number of complaints to her office about NDIS services in the southwest of Western Australia compared to the metropolitan
4: region of Perth. We know in areas like the southwest we can have thin markets where we don't necessarily have the right composition of providers. Tracy Mackey says work is
6: being done to improve the capability of NDIS providers.
4: Well what we do know about people we really complex needs is sometimes they're the ones that need the most support, ensuring that their rights are really looked after, that people aren't compromising them, treating them as a commodity rather than a person.
6: Since being discharged from hospital last week, Marley has been moved to new supported accommodation, but his new home is in Perth, 200 kilometres away from his hometown. Melissa Karati says the whole experience has left her feeling disillusioned about the ability of the National Disability Insurance Scheme to provide Provide Marley adequate care. All of the registered providers we've looked at so far have not met his needs and have just thrown him back and forth. It's been quite inhumane and I want agencies to have more accountability. I want them to understand that people like Marley don't fit in a box. The NDIS Minister, Bill Shorten, says there is a critical lack of supported accommodation for NDIS participants in regional
1: Australia. In a statement to AM, he said it was something his government would urgently address. George Loney reporting. And that is AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.